Well, good morning again, Hope Church. It's uh, good to be here. It's also kind of exciting to realize that uh, me and my family will be coming back here on a regular basis. Uh, the contingency for me to come back was that I would be a judge on the apple pe uh, tasting uh, contest. <laughs> it is uh, humbling to be able to come back, uh, to be a part of the ministry that uh, Pastor Nate has uh, started with and following through with, and we're just thankful to see what God is doing here with you, with him, uh, and to be a part of that as to be a shepherd alongside of Nate, with Nate and also with John and with Jeff. Uh, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to be able to do that together, to work in the ministry of the gospel and to shepherd you folks is uh, something of a, a daunting task no matter where we go, but it's always uh, a great pleasure when uh, uh, there's excitement coming and, and uh, being a part here. So uh, we do thank the Lord. Ask your prayers upon uh, this engagement because you realize that this is all spiritual warfare. Um, this is a spiritual battle that the Lord is, um, again, uh, pleased to bring together, but Satan is not happy at all about you desiring to bring on another pastor, to bring on someone else who wants to come alongside of you and to be able to walk the life that, that Jesus uh, wants us to live, that he gave us an example to live, but also gave us the privilege to be able to call him uh, both brother and Savior and Lord. And so we need to make sure that we... we we pray about this ongoing work of the gospel here in Boston Spa through Hope Church. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are again praising you this morning for doing things, activities, having thoughts that take us out of the realm of the secular and bring us into the divine that we focus our eyes upon heavenly things, that, Father, we, we praise you for turning our eyes toward you first as you were looking upon us. We're thankful, Father, for recognizing not only the gospel but understanding the effect that it, that it had upon us. For those of us who love you, for those of us who were blind but now we see, for those of us who were dead but now are alive, Lord, we thank you for giving us this great, great news that we not only desire to share with one another as we walk with still the battle of the sinful nature in our hearts, you have given us a family to stand side by side, to walk closely together, to be able to confess and to be able to find assurance to be able to encourage each other in this walk, knowing that you are with us all the way, Jesus. And thank you for, by the power of the Holy Spirit that you apply these truths to our life. And as we stand here today, Lord, we thank you for giving us this day that is separated from the rest of the week 
which helps us to focus our attention upon who we are and our witness to the world and our witness to each other. Lord, we know that we are not perfect, but Jesus, we know that you are. And we know, Father, that we cannot earn our salvation from the beginning, nor can we earn it in the end. And we trust in the complete work of you, Jesus. So we stand here today in full assurance of our salvation and of your kingdom work. So we pray as we are gathered here and we hear your word that you would speak through us, to us, through it, that we would desire to hear this word that is the power of God unto salvation. And so we pray that you will bless us all as we, as we focus on the center of our worship, the proclamation of your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our thoughts today are looking at 1 Corinthians to this letter. I got an email from Pastor Nate as he asked me to fill the pulpit. And uh, he said we are, and I knew that you got, he's been working through and did a really good job of working through the book of Proverbs. Uh, not working through the book, but picking on some topics for the summer. Um, and then he sent me uh, some text that he thought uh, would I mind thinking about preaching on. And this text was one of them, and I don't know why I picked it. Uh, and uh, I said, I'm leaning towards it, and he puts it in the bulletin. So, uh, uh, and I know you've been talking about, as in the book of Proverbs, is the, is, you know, wi the wisdom literature and and the uh, very first message that you received from him was this overview of the book of Proverbs, you know, chapters 1 through 9, as he said, was this ongoing dialogue and, and discussions about wisdom and the call to wisdom, uh, and that the, uh, the verse of the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of this wisdom, and that uh, fools despise this kind of wisdom. And then I remember him talking about how, how this, this call for wisdom is personified by uh, uh, two women in, in the uh, later parts of that section of 8 and 9 where w the wisdom, uh, the woman wisdom is calling out and is, is proclaiming from the mountaintops about this invitation about coming to this wisdom and coming to the Lord to understand this wisdom and, under, and realizing that for us to apply the imperatives of chapters 10 through the end, that we would need to become sons of God uh, by this calling. But also in chapter 9 is the, the adulteress or the woman of, of folly who is standing on a mountaintop and is shouting just as loud and is, is uh, peddling her wares of having wisdom and is deceiving the simple ones as they walk by, thinking that they will be satiated, satisfied by her and not wisdom. That's the compelling battle that, on, that is ongoing for us. We become deceived by that as well. Even though we know the truth, we find ourselves being deceived by her calling. And so you understand that 
the world that we're, we're, we're called to be aliens and strangers in is in that battle all the time. Where there is the voice of wisdom, there is the voice of foolishness and folly and deception. And where we hear this wisdom of God, we have to understand what that means now as we apply it to our lives, as we apply it to the church. And I think this call of, uh, of Paul in, in 1 Corinthians is very, very applicable to having that, that sense of what do we do now with even this, these few sermons that we've got from the book. We talked, what, about, I think, Sticks and Stones was one title. Uh, an, another one was about dysfunctional families. Like, I know there's only a few of you that come from dysfunctional families. <laughs> uh, because we are a dysfunctional family right here. Wherever there is sin, there is dysfunctionality. Um, and then he talked about uh, building, f having friends and uh, uh, building relationships. This is why I, find out, I found out that why God wanted me to speak from 1 Corinthians, because this is this wisdom of God in action by Paul in a, the church of Corinth. If you ever want to find a poster child of churches that are dysfunctional, Corinth is at the very top. At the very top. Just peruse with me as we go along. Just in the, if you have uh, your Bibles and you go to the ver the, the, just the title of the tops of the sections that are there. This, uh, the visions in the church. The sexual immorality that defiles the church, lawsuits among believers, the, fle uh, the uh, principles of marriage, of divorce, unmarried, widowed, food offered to idols. Then we go on and we talk about the warning against idolatry. Then we talk about head coverings. Then we talk about the abuse of worship, the abuse of the Lord's Supper, the abuse of the spiritual gifts, the abuse of love. Isn't that enough? All of these abuses that we find in this church in Corinth, the church is embedded and find its, its very home in Corinth. Now, you and I have heard this many times, that, that a term, you know, anything from Corinth is defiled. It's sinful. Corinth was, you know... The place of, like Tim Keller even called New York City Corinth. The place of the pow, the wow, the, the, the lust, the sexuality, the wanton le uh, greed and, and power and just forgetting about humanity and just stepping on each other. It's not only New York City, it can be Boston Spa. It can be Albany. It can be anywhere. This is... This is where this church is planted. And what Paul is writing to this church about, and we're going to read actually the beginning of the chapter 2, verse 31 of, of this chapter to get a flow, because it's going to be important to get a flow of understanding why Paul is writing this way and how he addresses the problem. 
and how he brings wisdom to the problem. And he also gets involved in a discussion of turning the tables to a world who calls God, uh, uh, their, their wisdom, wisdom, and our wisdom, folly, God turns it around and even talks about his own folly as the world sees it and pre presents it to them as saying, this is my folly. This is the folly of God, Paul is writing to them. And you, the church, are the folly. You're the folly of, of the world. And he turns these, this debate and this argument and this instruction and this catechism to this church to get them to see what's going on, who they are, and get back to the basics as he goes through every one of these problems. He always goes back to the wisdom of God. He always goes back to the very first things of God. Before we start reading, turn with me to chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. Notice how Paul, way after he's written all these other 14 and a half chapters, or 15 chapters, he now writes, verse 1, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. He's going right back again after talking and writing and talking and admonishing and encouraging and instructing. He says, I want you to be reminded of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand Paul has a whole bunch of confidence in this church. I don't know if I would, but he does. And by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. Now notice this. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Excuse me, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, although some have fallen asleep. The first importance, supreme importance, is always going back to the gospel. And that's what Paul is doing. That's the wisdom of God. That's what Proverbs was pointing to. As Pastor Nate said, the, the epitome and the ultimate completed work of wisdom and the completed revelation of wisdom is Jesus. He is the, um, the, the, the consummate king, the consummate obedient son. He is the one who obeyed the word of God to its utmost. He is the one who we are to follow. It is his example, but also his life's work for us. The death upon the cross, and Paul lays it out to them for, for them. So we go back and we see Paul writes this. Paul called by the will of God, verse one of chapter of verse one, chapter one of First Corinthians. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus in our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those 
sanctified in Christ Jesus. Now he knows what he, who he's talking to. Do these people sound sanctified? But he's not looking at them. He's looking at the gospel. He knows he, in the third missionary tour was when this church began under the, the preaching of Paul. He understands that there's been conversions. He understands that people's lives have been changed. He understands that they accepted. So he takes at face value that these people have been changed by God's grace. So he calls them holy ones, sanctified people. In Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. He doesn't say, I'm an apostle, I'm going to pull rank. He puts himself right along with everybody else. Grace to you, peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to you, my God, always for you. He's giving thanks to God for this church of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus because he knows what's going on there. He knows what's happened there. He knows that the power of the Holy Spirit is there because he says it, that in every way you, you were enriched in him, in their union with Christ. He understands that as he talks about in going on in chapter 15 of, the, of, uh, of, this, of this book, is that there is this contrast. The gospel is a, is a book of contrast, the message of contrast, just like the book of Proverbs is. You have the wise and you have the fools. You have those, as you're going to, uh, you, you've heard me pray, those who are blind but those who see, those who are alive, those who are dead. It's a book of contrast. The Bible gives us, you are either this or you're this. If you're in Christ, then you are the holy ones of God. If you understand the gospel. If you are not, then you are in Adam. You are in the natural man. You are either in the flesh, as he says in this, in this book, or in the spirit. Don't live according to the lust of the flesh, but live according to to the calling, to the power, by the direction of the Holy Spirit in your life. And that comes from the Word of God. So he is saying that they are in Christ, in Him. It, the union with Christ is such a big, big topic. It's everything to us. Our union with Christ gives us every privilege that Christ has. Everything that Jesus gave us comes because of him, our salvation, our ability to say no to sin, our ability to love each other, our, our ability to be able to proclaim the gospel to see lives change, our ability to live above the fray, an ability to understand our sin, the ability to confess sin, to know that God has pardoned us and we have a full assurance of that. That's the gospel. And Paul writes to these people who he believes understands the gospel. So he writes that you were enriched in him in all speech and in knowledge. Even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. And now he talks about their giftedness, which they're abusing, but he understands their giftedness as chapters 12 through 14 talks about this 
conversation and this instruction about the abuse, the proper understanding of the Spirit of God, the proper understanding of the spiritual gifts, and what you're doing wrong with them and how you are to handle them. Handle them with care. Because it's not about you. If you are in him, it's not about you. If you understand the gospel, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about him. Now, that, that's so simple, but it is so stinking difficult in our lives, is it not? That's our struggle. He says in verse 7, so that you are... He says, uh, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait. These people are waiting. They heard the gospel. God has blessed them with the spiritual gifts. And now in the future, now they're waiting. They're waiting for the revealing and the coming of Jesus. Who will sustain you to the end. He who began a good work in you will see you to the very end. Will see you to the maturity. Will see you to the very ultimate end. That's what it means. That's what the word eschatology really means. It's not everybody when they talk about eschatology, they focus on what? End times. And it's not about end times or last things, which it is. But eschatology is thinking about the end of where the consummation takes place. Remember some Italian pastor came here a couple years ago and said to you about, about what's the Bible say? What's the story of the themes of the Bible? is creation, the fall, redemption, and consummation. And even in Adam, if Adam had obeyed, there would have been that point of creation, and then if he obeyed the covenant of works, he would have been consummated. He would have been taken into that consummated state. But along the way, we have this need for redemption, which is the biggest part of the Bible, but always pointing to the hope of consummation. Consummation isn't New Testament. It's the Bible. The consummation, thinking about last things, thinking about ultimate things. It's when the book of Isaiah talks about at the very end, you're going to find a day when there's no more tears, when there's no more sadness. There's going to come a day, the book of Isaiah talks about the coming king, when he's going to sit on his throne, and he is going to vanquish all the nations. When all the enemies of God are going to be gone, they're going to be wiped away, and the only kingdom is going to be the kingdom of Christ. That's all eschatology. That's what he is saying here. They're waiting for that to come. They're already experiencing it. You've heard it, the already but not yet. We're experiencing it now, but... It's not fully here, and I'm so glad. I know there's more. I'm glad there's more coming, because this ain't enough. Verse 9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And now he gets to the problem. So he's, he's what does he do? Not like, you know, like the book of Galatians, he starts going in and slapping people because these people are following another gospel, these people here, this church, they're having a problem. Now, it doesn't seem like they've taken the guns and the cannons out yet. It doesn't sound like they've split up. It just says there's divisions. There's, there's party slogans going on. 
There's, there's, there's quarrels going on. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there are no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you. What I mean is this, is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, I follow Christ. There's party slogans going on. Now, Paul is going to get in, is now going to discuss with them in and almost not debate, but get into a, a discussion almost in an argumentative way. He says, is Christ divided? Can you divide Jesus, the one who brings us together, the one who has, he's going to talk about the body has many parts, but it's united, it's one body. Can what Jesus has brought together be divided? Yet that's what you are doing. By your loyalties, you aren't acting like people of the Spirit. You're, you're not acting as wise people. You're acting, well, maybe you are acting as wise people, but not of the wisdom of God, but the wisdom of the world. He says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? There's loyalties going on, finding themselves little cliques going on in the church, supporting Somebody who has given the word of God, Apollos, who, who um, uh, as we, we're going, we read uh, in, in uh, scholarship, and I just got done teaching the book of, uh, a book of Hebrews over at First Press. I mean, pa Apollos is one of the big names of, think, of who wrote the book of Hebrews. The man was extremely well-versed in the Bible and very, very articulate. So you could see people being drawn to him. Paul, on his own uh, testimony, says he was not very good looking. He was pretty ugly. He had a really frumpy body. And he didn't speak very well. But people were finding that he was somebody to be attracted to. And there's Peter. We can see why Peter would have been that way. But then he says, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. Gaius so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I do not baptize, I did baptize also the house of uh, Stephanus. Uh, beyond that, I do not know whether I baptize anyone else. For I did, God, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Now, he's not saying he, he doesn't, there's anything wrong with baptism. He's not saying that that's nothing he wants to do. He wants to, he wants to be a country mile away from it. He's just saying that's not the calling in his life. If it comes along, he'll do that. But that's not the focus in his life. There are people who come to pastors who want to get married thinking that the only reason they became ministers was to marry them. And I've gladly blown that out of their minds that I didn't go to seminary, I didn't get ordained, I didn't become a calling, I didn't follow the calling of God so that I could marry you. He says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom. Now notice the word, how this is played here. Not with words of eloquent wisdom. 
lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. What Paul is addressing here is that at this time in, in, in the world, and in, especially in Corinth, people were extremely enamored by people with the skill of debate, the skill of rhetoric, argumentation. Whether what they ever they were saying, like many politicians out there today are saying lofty things, but carry no weight, may say absolutely nothing after sucking up all the oxygen in a room. They didn't care what the rhetorician was saying. They just said, wow, listen to him speak. Look how he's presenting himself with the argument. Look how he can, look at what this person can do. And Paul is saying, What's happening is that you're looking at the individual, you're looking at the pers- these people, but you're not looking at the right person. For Christ did not send me, he says, and not, he didn't send me to preach the gospel, the gospel, not with words of eloquence, lest the cross be emptied of its power, Because if a person is eloquent and is persuasive, why would you need the power of God? Why would you need any supernatural power to persuade anybody if you were that eloquent? And Paul was saying, I'm not eloquent. How you came to know Christ was through the power of the preached word. And this is our focus today. For the word of the cross... Now notice he said with words of eloquent wisdom. Notice now how he singularly uses the word word. Because he is speaking about the word of God. The full body of the word of God. Which are many words. But we look at as the word. They're coming with Lots of lofty, lots of eloquent, lots of persuasive wisdom. But he says, do not get sucked into them because you are, you are now bringing the world into the church. For the word of Christ is folly to those who are perishing. Notice this contrast. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. We go back to Paul's writing as I came here a few weeks ago and talked about being ambassadors of Christ. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, in, in chapter 3, he talks about the fact that you are aroma to Christ. To some, you are the fragrance. The gospel is the fragrance. You are the fragrance of those who are being saved. And others of you, you're the stench of who are perishing because when we know other people and they're Christians we enjoy their fellowship but when we're around people who don't know the Lord some people don't like being around us we don't get invited anywhere we don't get invited to parties we're party poopers we can't have any fun we don't know we're not very smart because we believe this book we aren't that intelligent we don't know how to carry on conversations Or we're brainwashed. He says, For it is written, verse 19, taken from Isaiah chapter 29, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and discernment of the discerning I will thwart. This is taken from Isaiah 29, where, after after cycles of 
of uh, uh, judgment of all these nations that Isaiah is prophesying to, Israel keeps on forgetting about the Lord, keeps on forgetting about the, wor the Word of God, doesn't seek the Word of God, doesn't seek what God wants them to do. When they're in trouble, what's the first thing that Israel did? They were looking for allies. They were looking for someone to get in war with. Who hates our enemy as much as we do? Oh, let's go to Egypt. Well, Egypt. God kept on going to him saying, really, guys? Egypt? You want to go back with Egypt? Don't take horses from Egypt. Don't do anything with Egypt. Do you remember where you all came from in Egypt? You really want to go with Egypt? What about me? And this is where he is saying that, the, that Israel, the, the people of God in the Old Testament, were not going to God. We're not seeking God's revelation, but they were going to their own wisdom. They were thinking horizontally and saying, oh, we're, get, we're in trouble. Who do we run to? Oh, let's run to Egypt. And that's why he is saying this is something he's going to do. And in Christ, Paul is quoting this because this is something he has done. He has frustrated the wisdom of the world, of the intelligent intelligence of the intelligent by the cross he says for the word of the cross just boggles the mind of unbelievers verse 20 where is the wise now paul gets into this debate it's almost like he's asking him come on let's talk about this where are the wise where are the wisdom let's get into a debate now he doesn't want to but he goes into that mode where is the scribe well the scribe he's talking about would be the Jews. Okay, where, where are the rabbis? Where are the scholars here? Where are the people that, are in, that understand this word of God? Where are they now? And then he goes to the Greeks, to the debater of this age. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Now, again, listen to another contrast here. We're living in two different ages, two different worlds. Notice you've noticed that he says, the wisdom of this world the debater of this age. Verse 6, look at verse 6 of chapter 2. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age, or the rulers of this age, who are doomed to pass away. The cross has frustrated and made empty and void the wisdom of the world. That's what he's trying to tell them. And by you having divisions with one another, you are just throwing out the wisdom of God. You are throwing out the wisdom of Christ. You are, talk, you are just throwing out the wisdom of the cross because the wisdom of the cross brought you to a whole new understanding of what wisdom is. And you no longer look to the world. You now look to the Lord. So we're living in a world of this present age, and now what world do we live in? We live in the world of the age to come. Now, as was in the Old Testament, they too were looking for the age to come. But now, with the cross, the age of come, with Christ coming, the age to come is here. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is in front of your face. The kingdom of God is at hand. He's in front of you. The kingdom of God has come. 
he says in Mark. The kingdom of God has come by the, I've seen Satan fall by the finger of God. You cast out, by the finger of God, you see that something has interrupted the universe. Something has interrupted creation. And it's the kingdom of God through Christ. The king has come. The reign of Christ is here, but not fully, already, but not yet. So we are experiencing, as believers, we are living in the age to come because of the gospel. We do not live in this, as Paul writes in Galatians, this present evil age. We live in it, but we don't live by it. We live according to the age to come, the wisdom of the age to come. For since, verse 21, for since the wisdom of God and the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly. God's very great and happy to consider his preaching, his teaching, his word, his wisdom, folly. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. I am not afraid of the gospel before it because it is the power of God unto salvation. For Jews demand signs and Greeks wisdom. We understand that. We can, all you got to do is look at the Old Testament and you recognize that God did a lot of signs and wonders in the eyes of a very immature and very ignorant people of God. And so what do they say to Jesus? Even his own brothers, his own family say, Jesus, it's showtime. Jesus, it's, you're on stage. Perform. People are out there. They're waiting for you to do something. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, what were they saying? They were saying, we want a sign. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, you've got the sign of Jonah. And then he walks away. You've got enough sign. The rich man in Lazarus, what does he say? He says, oh, please let me go back. Oh, please let me go back. Oh, please let me go back and tell people. And he says, listen, you've got Moses and the prophets. If he didn't listen to them, if they don't hear, learn from them, forget about it. They're not learning from anybody. The Greeks want wisdom. And to them, logos, wisdom, the words were really kind of a mystical, supernatural reason. Like Plato. You know, Plato uh, has this, you know, this world of forms and ideas the world that we live in isn't real, but there's a real world of forms and ideas. And that's what they were looking at. They were looking at something outside of themselves that didn't exist. But to them, reason was something that was much bigger than themselves. But verse 23 says, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. To so the Jews, can you imagine? This is the Messiah this is the one we've been waiting for, one who hangs on a tree, is cursed, and there is our Messiah hanging on a tree? Is that wisdom? And how preposterous to a Greek to think that the wisdom of God is in a man who's been executed by Rome. But those who are called no signs, no wisdom, only the weakness and the foolishness of the gospel Paul gives. And that's what we have to give, folks. We have the power of the gospel. 
We have the power of the cross. Oh, did we sing that today? In fact, I didn't know if you were going to sing that today. I actually put it in my Bible this morning. The power of the cross. We don't need eloquent words. It's good to be informed. It's good to understand our Bible. It's good to know how to discuss. It's good to know scripture verses. But the debate doesn't depend upon upon you and me. It is not how eloquent we are. It is how faithful God is. It is how God wants to work. If he wants to change somebody's life, he'll use my terrible words to do it. I've read of people from, in, in the, uh, had a Gideon Bible in, in, the, in the jail. And I was, when we were, I was in Salem in uh, Massachusetts, and the guy came to know Christ by starting to roll a cigarette with the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 16. He started rolling a cigarette with that paper, and he read it before he lit it. The power of the Gospel. No signs, no wonders, no eloquence, just the power of the cross. Isn't that hopeful for us? We need to know our gospel. We need to have faith in our gospel. We need to understand our gospel. We need to understand that it's the power that changed you and me. It's not only enough to know it, as Pastor Nate says. As he says, knowledge is good, but wisdom is the ability to know what to do with it. And if there was ever a church that was stuck like uh, navigating. I think of the Proverbs as a book of navigation and how to navigate through things. And we had a guy at, at my, one of my churches who, was, who did the, the tugboats up and down the Hudson River. And he was talking how he would be at different places and how you knew, had to know how to navigate through certain areas because there were places that looked straight, but they were deadly because they were shallow in spots and there were things underneath and you had to understand how to navigate. So it wasn't about just being able to turn it this way or that way, but to think that just because the way looks straight that we can just think that it's clear sailing. That's the deception that, we, that we're given. It's not about clear sailing. It's about how to navigate through life. For the foolishness of God's in verse 24, but to those who are called, this called by the gospel in two ways, the preaching of the word of God, that's the, that's the, the, the general calling. That's just spreading seeds wherever they go. And then the effectual call of God is that call that changes our hearts. That's done by God. That is not done by anyone eloquent. That is done, it can be, but, the, but the, 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 the instrument does not need to be polished. Only given the true word of God is the power. And then he says, in, in closing here in verses 26 through 31, notice the folly. First, the, the, the gospel is the folly. The wisdom of God is folly. Now he is using them as the folly. Look at what he says. For consider your calling, brothers, not many of you were so hot. <laughs> Not many of you were so great. Not many of you were worth anything. That's a great way to sell things, right? 
He says, consider your calling. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were noble birth. But God chose, notice God doing this, preaching went out, but God did the calling and the election. God chose what is low. Just think, this is who he's talking about, people. Low, despised in the world, even things that are not. There was no church in Corinth. It never existed until Paul started preaching. It never existed and now popped right up. Something that was there, not there, is now there, the church in Corinth. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ, who became to us the wisdom from God. Why does Paul write in Colossians chapter 2, uh, two verse 3, that Jesus is the wisdom of God? Because of this, because He's explaining to us right here that Jesus, who became to us wisdom of God because of his righteousness, because he sanctifies us, and because he redeemed us. Because we were, we were aliens of God. We were not right with God. We were enemies of God. We were unholy. We were totally unsanctified. We, were, we would just totally pollute anything holy. God would not even allow Uzzah to touch the Ark of the Covenant because, if you've heard me say this before, he would rather have the dirt soil, the Ark of the Covenant, than the depraved heart and hands, sinful hands of humanity touch that. Even as Uzzah was doing the right thing, it was not the right thing in the eyes of God. God is that holy. God is that transcendent. God is that completely other, yet he desires us to know him, and so he sent Christ, who is the wisdom of God, the power of God, to us, so that as you and I look at each other, and some of us have a higher calling in life horizontally than others, but to God that makes no difference. God calls whoever he wants to call. He draws whoever he wants to draw. He gives faith to whomever he wants to give faith. Whether you can speak English, whether you, can, you can't understand English, whether you can't even read English, the power of the gospel, gospel can transform my heart and your heart. And that's what we've got. That's what we've got to take to the world, is that wisdom. That's the wisdom and the power of of the cross, the wisdom of Christ that we have to bring to the world. And we're going to meet people, and I pray that God brings people in your life this week that feel low and feel despised and feel like they're worth absolutely nothing and think that God is hating them and is angry with them, but we present to them how low and despised we are in the eyes of God until we came to know Christ, until God sent his Son until God sent the Holy Spirit to change our hearts, not only to recognize him, but to transform you and me. That's the difference between uh, Nicodemus. He says that Nicodemus, you can't even see it unless the Holy Spirit, but even when you see it, you have to believe it to understand who I am. 
And that's what he says here. Jesus is our righteousness. He is the one who sanctifies us. And he is the one who has redeemed us. He is the one who has taken on our sins, taken on the wrath of God. He is the one who has propitiated, who has satisfied the very debt that we owe to God because of our sinful nature, because of our disobedience, because of our own, our own wisdom, because of our rebelliousness against God. That's why the power of Christ, the wisdom of God is needed. The wisdom of Christ, he is our wisdom. And then he says, if any of you guys want to boast, boast in that. That's what he's, notice what he's doing. And he goes on to chapter 2 and chapter 3. It's not that he's not talking about words. The gospel are, is words. But when I stand up here, I am not preaching the words. I am preaching the word of God. It's very distinct than someone up there just spewing out words. We are talking about the logos. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That's who we're talking about. That's the difference between us. Our foolishness is truly foolishness to the world. And at one time, we may have thought, what am I doing this for? Why go to church? Why do I even care? You work with people every day that are respectful, but want nothing to do with your pitiful God or your pitiful desire or your pitiful dependence upon God. Why do you want to be dependent on anybody? But that's what wisdom does to us. When God, the fear of the, war, the Lord, the fear of God, the fear of the Lord is that beginning. We have to come to understand who we are before God, and then our lives can be transformed when we understand that God is there with, the, with taking care of that need, and that is the power of the gospel. Um, I wanted to read one thing with you from uh, Gordon Fee as in closing. He says this, he says, Paul does not tell us, uh, excuse me, he says, God will not be easily tamed and freed from its shackles. The preaching of the cross alone has the power to set people free. Paul does not tell us how so here, but the whole story makes it plain. In the death of his son, God has judged us who are responsible for it. Christ has thereby not only taken himself of our sins and guilt and remove them. He has disarmed us in the divine presence by forgiving us when we richly deserve death. Thus forgiven, we are set free not only from our sins, but to become his new people in this new world. It thus achieves what the God of human expectations cannot achieve. It creates disciples who will trust in him for life. Such weakness in God is scandalous to those who think of themselves as righteous and thus in no need of forgiveness. But to those who recognize themselves as in need of mercy, this is the good news that sets us free to follow him. From this weakness is also ultimate power and therefore the final wisdom of God. Let's pray. We thank you, Jesus, for making yourself known to us. And the word tells us that God sent his son so that we may have eternal life. That Jesus, you are the ultimate revelation. As Jesus, you said that if we want to know the Father, all we need to do is look at you. 
And so, Jesus, thank you for those of us here today who have had our eyes turned towards you, that by your Holy Spirit, as Paul goes on to write to say, that it is the Spirit's work that allows us to see the need, allows us to understand the gospel. Thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to apply these truths to our life. But Father, I pray that as we find ourselves in situations, not only in this church, but as we find ourselves, as Pastor Nate had talked about, Father, in relationships, how we are to conduct ourselves, how we are to think of ourselves, how we are to think of the gospel before we take our next steps. Forgive us, Lord, for the times when we feel that we've been so wise that we are to be in such control and made such a disastrous situation unfold. Father, thank you for being a God of grace, a God of forgiveness, a God who tells us that if you are faithful and that if we confess our sins, that you will purify us from all unrighteousness. So, Father, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for being able to help us see the need for it in every situation of life, that it is not being moved by the eloquence of anyone, but it is being moved by the very voice of God. So, Father, I pray that today my voice is not heard, but your word is heard. I pray, Father, that when you open up opportunities for the beloved here today, that when they go out into their lives outside of this church, that, Father, you will give them the opportunity to be the instrument of grace in the hands of a sinner, a redeemed man and woman of God, so that others will be able to see and hear your voice and hear the wisdom of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.